player. Uh, I believe it's his first time in Sawyerville. Josiah uh, is married to Anne Jessica Gaucher. Some of you may remember Jean Gaucher, who was in Sherbrooke a number of years ago. And uh, he and his wife have spent some time in the mission field in Africa, but because of the climate, we're forced to return to our more moderate climate here in Canada. And uh, he's presently ministering at the University of Sherbrooke. And that's the society conference here in the climate that his ministry is about to be. Well, uh, thanks, Austin, for inviting me, and thanks for the introduction as well. It's funny when you mentioned um, everything kind of feels in disarray during the vacation. Um, we just spent a week camping, and in hindsight, it wasn't the best timing to uh, plan to preach right after camping, and I'm a little bit um, destabilized. I'm also half in French, because I just preached in French, and so je suis un peu déstabilisé. Now, how do you say that in French? I'm, I'm in English, I'm destabilized. Okay. Um, so, we, I'll pray that God helps me, and um, we'll see what we can do. So, thank you for that introduction. Uh, we're, we're missionaries with Sim Canada. Um, or Sim International, uh, and we felt the call to go into missions. I um, am trained as a Bible school teacher. I've got a, ma- a bachelor's and a master's in theology. And so, uh, but in 2012, we got a call from a missionary saying, "Hey, you guys really ought to come overseas to teach overseas." And so, this is why I went to Perro de Vie Betel to learn French in 2013 and 2014. And then we went over to Niger, which is um, kind of south of the, the Sahara Desert in Africa. And uh, I taught there for one semester in 2014, seven months, 203 days or so. Um, we had to come back because my wife just had a real hard time with the heat. Uh, she was in heat fatigue almost the entire time we were there with dips down into close to heat stroke. And as you know, heat stroke can be fatal. Um, and so we eventually had to make um, the decision to come back uh, before the hot season started because this was just the normal season. Um, and so uh, there's a lot more I could say about that. Obviously, it was a difficult decision. Um, what do you do when you feel called as a missionary and to a specific place and, and it feels like this is your whole life's calling and then there's a change of plans? And so we've been in a whole journey of of rediscovering God and, and what it means to be called and and the journey that God has us on. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about today. Um, if you'd like to hear more about our ministry, um, I set things up in the entrance. I thought this was the entrance. I guess you guys come in there. So there's stuff back here in this back little room. <laughs> that I, anyways, um, I kind of scooted the book table over and, and you can sign up for our newsletter. We send out email newsletters. If you don't do email, we can email, we can uh, snail mail it to you. And please, um, Austin had a little pamphlet there. Please take one of those and a fridge magnet and just remember to pray for us. It's got a little description of what we do. Um, because of my background in teaching, I'm at the University of Sherbrooke, uh, not as a teacher, but in campus ministry. So people come with a lot of really deep questions. What about Islam? What about Buddhism? Can't we squish these all together? And and what about, you know, the violence in the Old Testament? How do you reconcile that with, you know, Jesus and being loved? And, and so we have a lot of really great discussions, and uh, this is kind of my ministry there. I'm also teaching at Perro de Vie Betel, uh, one class. Uh, I taught one class last year. I'll probably teach another one this year. 
able to use my gifts of teaching that way and preaching in my local church. Uh, we're attending at St. James Lennoxville. Um, yeah, so that's kind of me. And uh, I don't want to talk too much more about me because there's more interesting things to talk about, um, believe it or not. Let's turn to, uh, no, we won't turn yet. I want to give a bit of an introduction for my sermon. Um, because I was camping and I didn't really feel like starting over at zero with this sermon, I thought, what can I, what, what can I use that I kind of already prepared? And um, a few weeks ago, I was, had the opportunity to speak, to be the camp speaker at uh, Parkside Ranch. And so I had these 10 sermons, and especially the first one where I shared my testimony and then kind of the basics of the gospel. And I thought, this would be really great to preach. Um, I, you guys are all brothers and sisters in Christ, but I don't really know you at all. Uh, I appreciate the invita- invitation, but I thought, you know what? We can always hear the gospel again. And uh, I want to share my testimony as well. And I want to go through the Romans Road. How many here have heard of the Romans Road? That's great. How many of you here have heard of the Wordless Book? So the Romans Road, for those of you that don't know, and it's good to see most of you holding your hands up, the Romans Road is a basic way in about five verses, and there's some verses that you can kind of add or, or take away, but mostly it's three verses, in Romans that very logically and systematically lay out the gospel, that we're sinners and that we need salvation and that Jesus died for our sins and that we just confess or that we just ask for forgiveness and we're saved. It's a very straightforward way to share the gospel. And I'm going to share that with you if you have the capacity, then take notes because it's helpful when some when you finally get to that point where somebody's like, okay, well just tell me, you know, what's the bottom line? Uh, what does it actually mean to get saved? You got these verses on hand. You can go Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the, of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Well, there you go. Everybody has sinned. The wages of sin is death. That means everybody's going to hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There you go. There's the gospel. And Romans 5, 6 to, to 9 talks about how Jesus died for us even though we were, while we were yet sinners. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 talks about uh, we just need to put our faith in Christ to be saved. So in those four verses, boom, you got the gospel, you can share it. The other thing I want to roll over quick, and I'm going to be workshopping this a few times throughout the, the course of the sermon. So if you don't catch it all the first time around, that's fine. It'll come back around again. Is the wordless book. And this is five colors that you can use. And it's often in a book format. You can just take construction paper, cut um, cut the pieces, staple them together, and give them to a kid. Kids always like you know, getting a little gift like that. Uh, or you can make a little bracelet with five beads. I'm sure that you guys have seen this sort of thing. I've actually seen uh, my father-in-law, Jean Gaucher, um, and he taught in, he was a pastor in Quadricook for a while. Uh, if some people might know him from there. But he was, he had, we had youth over, Christian, non-Christian youth at, at somebody's house one time when he was the pastor. And he said, look, I'm going to tell you guys a story with uh, a, a pop can and a broom handle and, you know, different objects. And the thing that tied them together was the color. And so he said, this pop can, you know, is a, a Coke. And he's like, this is red like the blood of Jesus. And this is black. Like, and, and so through these five colors, you can share the gospel uh, in, a, in a variety of different ways. And it also just helps us to hold it together in our mind because the gospel is the center, isn't it? From the gospel, from the center of the gospel... All the pathways lead out. It's like Grand Central Station in New York or wherever that is. 
Um, I think it's in New York. From there, they say you can go anywhere in the world. But you need to know which train to get on. And you need to understand how, how that works. Um, and so it's, our hearts never get tired of beating. Even though it's kind of boring. You just... Uh, if if they get tired of beating, then we're dead, or almost dead. Uh, if they stop beating, we're dead. And as Christians, we never get tired of hearing the old, simple, basic story of how we're saved from our sins by grace through faith, through the death of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go over that again today. At the same time, I'm going to share three stories from my childhood um, that will be kind of fun and uh, that, that help to explain the, the path that I'm on. And it's not the purpose of this sermon, but a kind of um, added message, uh, kind of aside, kind of a, a bonus message, is to say, don't ever despise the faith of children. And I think this is something that we sometimes do. We sometimes feel like until you, you're like 16 or 17 or 18, 25, whatever, until you've had that period of rebellion and then coming back to God, well, we're not really sure if your faith really counts. And... Um, I'm also a history professor, so I know that this comes from this kind of a pendulum that swings sometimes in church history. You know, people, there's kind of people that get saved because they're raised in Christian homes. There's people that get saved because they were raised non-Christians and they get saved as adults. So there's these two different ways of coming to Christ. And the pendulum kind of swings back and forth through church history. And if you think about that for a second, you can, you can probably see that. And right now we're swinging... We have swung through the revival movement, through the, the, the tent, uh, the, the traveling preachers and things like that in America in the 1800s. The pendulum is way over to adult conversion, adult baptism, and I mean, certainly I agree with adult baptism, but just the pendulum is over there where sometimes we don't value the faith of children. Sometimes we don't value the conversion of children. And for me, all the foundational blocks were in place before I was eight years old to be saved, to understand what that means, to understand the Trinity, to understand salvation, and to be called as a missionary. And from the age of eight, I've been on a path, and, and I've been on a journey. And, um, you know, that little kid of eight years old was, I said in French, il avait raison, ce petit bonhomme. He, he was a smart kid. Uh, when, when that little kid turned into a 12, 13, 15, 16-year-old, he, he did some stupid things. But when he was eight, he had a good head on his shoulders, and he made some good decisions. So don't ever despise the faith of children. Um, Jesus said, unless you become converted and become like a child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So let's get started with my first story. The first story is how I got saved and how God saved me. I really think of it that way, how God saved me through an elastic gun, some flowers, and a spider. And this is a story, because I was raised in a Christian home, um, for a long time, it bothered me that I couldn't remember when I got saved. It just kind of, I always remembered being saved. I'm going to stop waving that around. I always remembered being saved. And, um, you know, at different times I prayed, God, if I'm not saved, save me now. Just kind of an insurance policy. But the last, in the last couple of years, it's almost like there's different scattered memories and photos and images in my mind. And I, they kind of just kind of floated together. And I realized, oh, that memory goes with this memory, and then this happened. Oh, and that's why, and I realized, and some of these memories were kind of dreamlike, and put them together, oh, I think that's when 
I first understood the gospel and really apply it to myself. So in hindsight, it's like, I think this might have been the day, the moment I got saved when I was eight years old with an elastic gun, a spider, and some flowers. So the story happened like this. My dad is a mechanic, and he was at the time as well. And one day he came home with um, some elastics, and I don't know where he got them from. Somehow from work, uh, they came on a part probably. And you know those elastics you get around broccoli that are like, they're, they're not very big, but they're fat and strong. You, you know what I mean? It was like that, only it was about eight inches long, not stretched. And so can you imagine for a five-year-old, this was a pretty cool little thing. And he had about three or four of them. And then he made a gun out of one-by-fours or one-by-twos um, that you could stretch them on. And he had like a close hanger wire trigger and release where you could, you could fire these things. And it was the coolest thing. Like, I still remember it's like, you know, 28 years later, it still kind of makes an impression on me. It was a really cool gun that I had, um, that we had, you know, it was all of ours. But there was a problem. I couldn't just shoot my brother because my older brother would beat me up and my younger brother would cry to mom and then, you know, I'd have a spanking and that sort of thing. Um, and so I, I left the home, or I mean, I didn't leave home, but I, I went outside looking for something to kill, you know, something to shoot. Uh, something that wouldn't uh, fight back. And um, so I went all around the yard, all around our house, until I found in the, the casement window of our basement apartment, because um, we were renting underneath a different house, there was a daddy long leg spider just sitting there in the corner. And uh, so I took aim. I wasn't very sportsmanship-like. I went like right up to him and took aim and... And shot the poor guy. And uh, with that huge elastic, um, I mean, he just didn't, he just exploded. Like, there was nothing left. Um, there were, you know, bits and, and pieces and slime on the window. And um, there was one leg kind of stuck on the window, kind of trembling like spider legs do when you pull them off. I know this is not what you usually hear in a sermon, but um, it left an impression on me as a young kid. And uh, you would think after, you know, succeeding in, in destroying my foe, I would have that feeling of, yeah, I win. Uh, but I didn't. Right away, the, the emotion that hit me was just guilt and shame. Like, why did I do that? That was stupid. What, what did the spider ever do to me? He was just sitting there. Um, he, you know, and Daddy Longlegs, you, you can, they're nice. You can pick them up. You can play with them. Uh, my friends would pull the legs off sometimes. I never did that. It's, they're, they're nice spiders. You can, you can play with them. And I just blew this guy out of the water. What, what's with that? Why, why, why did I do that? And as I was kind of walking back towards my house, and I can kind of remember the, the, the walkway in, in the house. It was a red painted house, kind of a dark or a brownish red house. Um, I just thought, it was so stupid. And then I just started thinking about the long list of all the other stupid and, and hurtful and mean things I had done um, throughout my long life of five years. And it was already a half-decent list. You know, there were a lot of things I was thinking of, like, I keep doing mean things. Like, I keep being a mean person. I don't want to be a mean person, but I'm, I, I do bad things. What's with this? And because I was raised in a Christian home, you know, I knew that Jesus had died for my sins, and so I said, God, please forgive me for killing the spider. And I felt a bit of relief. But for all these other sins, I was thinking, well, then I started, God, forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. I forget the list now. 
by the grace of God. But, you know, I started asking for forgiveness for all these other things. And it was kind of like a snowball effect of like the more that I thought of it, the more sins kind of piled up. And I was like, God, I, I don't have time to ask you for all forgiveness for all these things. And also, I might forget something. And that was a really scary thought. I might forget something. Forget to ask forgiveness for something. And so I had this idea, and I thought I was, it was a genius idea. I thought maybe I was the first person in the world to come up with this idea. Um, it's funny how we think as, as little kids. And I thought, I wonder if God could forgive me for everything I've ever done. Stuff that I remember, stuff that I forget, everything. Just forgive me, poof, like that. And I thought that would be, like, that's a good deal, you know. Um, praying it's like more for the price of one and I was really excited about this and so I prayed to God and right away I knew he could and I knew he did and I felt a weight lifting off my shoulders I felt peace I felt I'm forgiven I have no sins against me all that stuff is done it's, it's gone and I thought I'm going to keep doing this every couple months I'm going to ask for forgiveness for everything I've ever done and later on I realized no you just pray for um well, no, you do keep asking for forgiveness, don't you? Um, and as I was walking into the house, just transitioned from deep sorrow and guilt to peace and joy, I noticed some flowers, and there was still dew on the flowers. And it was just this early morning, in the, in the early morning light, they were just so beautiful and, and vibrant red. And I thought, red, must just the most beautiful color in the world. And... Um, you know, when you're a little kid, everybody asks you what your favorite color is. And so it was something that I'd kind of been wondering about. Because they ask you what your favorite color is, and then they ask you why. It's like this, this test that, like, shines a light into your psyche, you know? And, and they're like, oh, really? That's why you like red? Um, and so I, that, I saw those flowers, and I thought, they're red, just like the blood of Jesus that washes me clean from my sins. And I decided red is, from now on, my favorite color in the world. And... Um, I, I went back in the house and I tried to explain to my brother um, everything I had discovered and why red was my favorite color and it was so exciting and, and, and God had saved me from my sins and you know we were growing up in a Christian home hearing this all the time and so he's like yeah well, I know um, and I, I realized it's hard sometimes to express what's going on inside to share it outside to other people but in that in that exchange as a five-year-old kid, I went through all five of the colors of the wordless book. I understood God was good, that he had created me for a relationship with him, and that he loved me. That's the yellow. I understood, though, that I had sinned. This is the black. And that there was darkness on me. And as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I, I knew there was some ideal of what I should be, and I had fallen short of that. And the fact that I had fallen short troubled me deeply. And so I understood the black, the, the Romans 3.23. And I understood the red because I grew up in a Christian home. I understood that Jesus died for us. This says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I understood the white, that I could be clean, I could be pure through the death of Jesus. And, you know, uh, starting from there, understood uh, Romans 6, 7, 8, 
Um, that's the green part. That's our, our, our walking with Christ. That's our growing in our Christian faith. Um, something I shared with, uh, with the campers as I was speaking about this, um, because I really want to underline, and I want to highlight for you guys as well, how much God loves us. I know we hear about this often, but how much God loves us. Paul prays in Ephesians 2, my prayer for you is that you would understand the height and the depth and the width of the love of God. I have my French Bible here. Um, Have you ever stopped to think just how much God loves us? Romans 6. Somewhere. Is it 9? No, it's Romans 5. Sorry about that. Romans 5, 6. Yeah, I was thinking 6, 5. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. Let me ask you this question. Would you die for somebody? If this building was, was burning and some, the speaker felt, well, the piano fell on somebody somehow, um, a rafter fell, and you had a split-second decision. Stop and help this person. I might die in the fire or hightail it out of here. What would you do? I, honestly, I don't know. I'm not going to brag and say I would die for somebody because in the situation with the adrenaline pumping, with your brain chemistry firing and doing all sorts of crazy things, who knows what I would do? Would you die for somebody else? Maybe, honestly, for a good person or somebody that you really care for. Maybe I would die. This is just me being honest and kind of guessing what I, would, what I would likely do. Would I run into this church and try and save somebody? I mean, you all seem like decent people and, and you have wonderful lives ahead of you. Um, maybe I would die for somebody here. I don't know. Would I run into a prison and try and save a murderer, a rapist, somebody that, you know, cheated people on their identities, an identity theft person. We're getting a little bit more doubtful. You know, if it's... I'm, see, I preached this, and then we went downstairs and we had this discussion, and it was all this, well, you know, the spiritual thing to do is, and, and you should put people first and Christ first. I'm just talking about, you know, in this situation, what would I realistically do? I'm not sure. But God shows his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. And the love of God is even more profound than that. What does it say in John 3, 69? Don't even need to go there. For God so loved the world that he gave, what? His one and only Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I, if we had the projector going, I'm sorry, there was something wrong with my USB key. Um, actually, can you just turn that off? Would that be okay? Or blame, whatever, don't worry about it. Um, got a family, got four kids, lovely wife, married the daughter of John Gaucher, as has been mentioned. Um, if they were in this room and there was a fire, 
I mean, I don't know if, if I would give my life for you or not. But I know if my kids were in the room, I know where my priority would be under the gun, under the pressure. Where's the kids? Where's my wife? Where's the family? Let's get out. One, two, three, four, go. And you might be screaming. You might be yelling at me. You might be stuck. I'm sorry to say, humanly speaking, and again, you know, we can talk about what the spiritual thing to do or the right thing or prioritize Christ first and then others first and family, whatever. I'm talking about the reality is I'm getting my kids first because there's something special about the relationship between a parent and, and, and his kids. But God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son for us, for you, for me. That's tremendous love. I want to talk about my second story now from my childhood. Um, a few days ago we were uh, out uh, camping. Um, I don't even know if I can explain to you where it was, but it was somewhere not far from here at a camp. And uh, there was a little rapids that we were at. And it was one of these rapids that's over like bedrock. And there's certain places where the water is going kind of fast, but most of the places you can walk on it and there's little pools you can swim in and stuff like that. And we had a lot of fun. And this is the sort of thing my dad used to do with us. He would take us three boys off in the bush. We had pellet guns. We had motorbikes. Uh, we had a dog. We, we went hunting. We, we were often out in the bush having fun. And these are some of my best memories with my dad. Um, and he, he did some stuff with us that was a little bit crazy sometimes. And those were the really good memories. Um, he used to say sometimes, we're doing this together so that you don't have to do it by yourself and be in danger. I think it was more just that he was kind of a kid at heart and wanted to throw a can of paint in the, or spray paint in a fire and see what would happen too. Um, but uh, this one time we were walking across a waterfall and it was a waterfall or a, a little rapids across Slate. And it was a place, it was a popular uh, place to go because you could, uh, you could go tubing down it or, or you could swim at the pool at the bottom or the pool at the top. And it was a beautiful place too. We were in Thunder Bay, it was somewhere close to there. And uh, we were walking across a flat spot. It was slate, so there's a lot of flat spots. But there's a wide table above the, the, the faster-moving rapids. And there were three boys, and, and my dad had the older kid and the younger kid in his hands, and there wasn't a hand left for me. And I felt a little bit offended by that. Um, and I was walking along beside him, and I was like, take my hand, take my hand. And my dad wasn't answering me. And from my perspective now... I understand him a lot more. I think that once he got in the water and realized how fast the water was moving, he realized this is a little bit more crazy than I thought it was. Uh, and he wasn't answering me because he was focusing on just trying to get his kids across. Um, but I was kind of offended by this, and um, I accidentally slipped. But in hindsight, as I kind of psychoanalyzed my, my little six-year-old mind, I think it might have been a little bit more than an accident. Uh, it might have been kind of trying to teach my dad a lesson about you should have been holding my hand, not my brother's hand. But I didn't calculate either how fast that water was moving. I mean, it was only like six inches of water, but when it's moving fast enough, six inches of water can be pretty significant. And before I knew it, poof, I went zipping off down this water, uh, down, down the rapids. And it was kind of a step sort of a deal. The, the rocks weren't sharp because it was slate. It was all covered in algae. It was really slippery. And I had about three quarters of a second of pure joy because it was just like a water slide. I was like, woohoo! Um, and, but I had, kind of had this feeling like, this is kind of a crazy thing that's going on here. And so I kind of, as I'm jumping down these steps, I kind of looked up where I was going. 
and I realized at the bottom of this is a pretty deep pool. And at six, I, I could swim with water wings on, but I was not at all capable of swimming uh, in the pool that I could see ahead of me. And I realized I was in real danger, and I seriously was on my way to slide towards drowning. My dad was back there. He's already holding two kids, and he couldn't have run fast enough to grab me anyways. Um, and so I started screaming at the top of my voice, help, 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 help. And I still remember this, this guy came out of the bushes, and th there were people around, so it wasn't as bizarre as it sounds, but the, he came out and he walked out in, into the ankle-deep or thigh-deep waters, or um, calf-deep, get my nouns right, um, and he stood there, and as I came by, he grabbed me and pulled me out of the water, and he saved my life. And I share that story um, because that was, there were a few times that I was in a pretty dangerous situation, but that time, pretty certain, that guy saved my life. Has anybody else been in a situation where they can say, somebody saved my life? There was a guy or a girl, you know, my life was saved. Has anybody, has anybody had that experience? We live in a safer culture where it happens less often, but often when, I, when I've asked that, there's been at least one or two people can tell you from experience that changes your perspective on this on somebody on the person that saved your life for me that person I always remember him always thankful for him for a long time i thought that this guy was an angel that god just sent somebody sent an angel to come save me and then he disappeared because i didn't actually see him after that uh, but as i thought through more of my memories as a kid because i wanted to go up and thank him and i never got a chance to but as he was leaving the park i saw he had one of these camping chairs and it had broken while he was sitting by the, by the rapids. And he just like threw it up somewhere. And I thought, that's probably not an angel. Angels don't litter. Um, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Show me the verse. I, I don't know. Um, but I appreciate that guy for saving me. And um, how much more do I appreciate Jesus for saving me. Uh, and and the, the gift that he gave me. I want to talk uh, just briefly now because <clears throat> I'm on the University of, Can uh, University of Sherbrooke, University of Sherbrooke um, and often the question is put to me, is there really a difference between the different religions? Because all these religions talk about a path and, and being a good person. Christianity talks about being a good person too. And there's a list of bad things that you're not supposed to do and there's a list of good things that you're supposed to do. And if somebody is a, you know, living in all sorts of sin, no, no matter what religion you're talking about, they're all going to say, well, he's not, he's not going to heaven. He's, he's being a mean person. He's, he's cruel. He's, he's living in sin. So what's the difference, actually? And Martin Luther has said, and I've quoted this many, many times, that there's many religions of works and there's one religion of grace. There's many religions of works and there's one religion of grace. Because all the religions of the world basically talk about a path. And this, you know, Buddha or Muhammad or Jesus or uh, Abraham or um, Zoroaster or whoever has walked along this path. He's got to figure it out. We need to try and follow him. Do the things he said to do. Don't do the things he said not to do. And at the end of this path, there will be salvation. Probably. Hopefully. Maybe. You might have to get reincarnated a few times for it to really work. But eventually you'll get saved. Or you might get to the end and, and God or Allah or Yahweh or, or um, i trying to think of some other deities. Those are the only three I can think of. Um, it's going to kind of weigh you in the scale and be like, eh, I don't know. You kind of, you know, 
you did a lot of good stuff, but you did more bad stuff than good stuff. So you, you go to the bad place instead of the good place. In Christianity, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. You start the path with salvation and with assurance. And it's not based on your works. Is it Ephesians 2.14? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. I always get confused with this one. 2.14, 2.12, Where is it? 4.12. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. I think I'm getting that a little bit backwards. But we start with... Shout it out when you find it. We start with the salvation of God. And then we live it out. And I talked a bit about the Romans road. And that's mostly contained in Romans 1 to 5. Because it's talking about what it means to be saved. Romans 1 talks about the wrath of God against blatant sin. Romans 2 talks about the wrath of God against religious sin and hypocrisy. Romans 3. Everybody is under sin. Romans 4 talks about faith. Romans 5 talks about the justification through Jesus Christ. And then Romans 6 to 8 talks about our life in Christ. Let's work it out. Now that we're saved, now that we're already got square with God, how do we work this out? And Romans 6 to 8 explains that. You can't just live however you want. You need to follow Christ. For me, a good way to bring this together is talking about marriage versus shacking up or living together. If two people, and I know this is, you know, culture is very different here in Quebec. Um, but if two people are living together, you never really know. And, you know, some relationships are different. I know some people, um, they have their own way of expressing commitment and devotion to one another. But basically, there's nothing legally, socially, financially often binding you together. So tomorrow, if we have a big fight today, I'm sitting there thinking, is she going to leave tomorrow? Is he going to leave tomorrow? If I mess up and, and really, you know, lose a lot of money or lose my job or yell at the kids one too many times, is she going to take off? There's that sense of insecurity. There's that sense of performance. There's that sense of instability. Whereas the metaphor the, for our relationship with God that is used over and over and over and over throughout scriptures is marriage. And marriage, when you think about it, is a lot like the gospel. At the beginning without knowing a whole lot about each other sometimes, you say, even if it's for the next 50 years or 60 years, I'm going to stick with you for better or for worse, for sickness and health, for thinner or thicker. How does it go? Um, no matter what happens, through thick and through thin. If you say that the wrong way, it really makes it kind of funny. Um, but it's not talking about weight gain. Um, but that is a reality. Uh, no matter what, I'm with you. I'm stuck with you. You're stuck with me. And this is how our relationship with God is. We start with salvation. And from there, we work it out. And yes, we fail. And yes, we fall. And yes, we, we don't follow Christ perfectly. And yet, there's never this sense of, I've sinned one too many times. He's going to reject me. No. We're married. We're stuck with each other. He saved us. We're adopted into his family. We are completely saved no matter what. The last story I want to share from my childhood isn't really a story. It's not much of a story. It was significant to myself, but there wasn't a spider or a gun or anything like that. Uh, when I was eight, my dad 
um, gave me a Bible, one-year Bible, and said, part of your chores is to read this in a year. And so I did my best, didn't get all the way through it. But January, he said, all right, we'll just skip the minor prophets and call it even, start over again. And um, as I was reading my Bible as an eight-year-old, I felt a strong sense. And I can't really explain it, and I kind of forget the details, but I knew God was calling me to be a missionary. And my parents had tried to be missionaries. It hadn't worked out. Um, and I knew what a missionary was, and I thought it was going to the jungle and, and dealing with mosquitoes and malaria and spiders and snakes. And the snakes and spiders especially was a real hindrance to me, a real stumbling block. I was like, whoa, I'm not sure I'm, I'm up for this. Um, but as... For about two days, I felt this struggle within me. I feel like God wants me to be a missionary. I don't want to be a missionary. Finally, I decided God's the one that made the snakes and spiders. If he wants me to be a missionary, he can protect me from the snakes and spiders. Okay, I'll be a missionary. And from that point on, the definition of what it means to be a missionary has changed. Um, but I've always felt that I'm being a missionary, that I'm, on, that I'm called to be a missionary. There were times when I was pre being prepared to be a missionary. Uh, there were times when, well, when I went to the high school, uh, I was going to a Christian school, switched to a secular public high school to be a missionary. And I carried a great big Bible, about this big, in my cargo pants pocket, took it out every chance I got, read it, uh, had great discussions with people. Some people laughed at me. I was a missionary on campus. Went to Bible school, prepared to be a missionary. Went to Africa, um, was a missionary here. I'm a missionary at the campus of the University of Sherbrooke. And the point from that is to return to where we started, to say, don't ever despise the faith of kids. And my dad, looking at me as an eight-year-old kid, and he did this for all three of his kids, knew that I had the capacity to read, to have a relationship with God, and to make serious commitments and decisions for Christ. And he honored that by treating me um, as a co-heir with him of, of the salvation of, of God and encouraging me to read. I do the same, well, my oldest just turned eight. I gave him a much smaller children's one-year Bible, and I promised him, when you finish this, I'll give you 50 bucks. And for him, he gets a $1 allowance every week. $50 is like, mind blown. Um, and he's about halfway through it already. His birthday was uh, four months ago, I think. And he's already uh, halfway through this little Bible. Every chance he gets, he's reading it. At first, for the money, but the more he reads it, I think he, God is, is catching him. It, it, it's, it's interesting to him. So honor and, and seek after the faith of kids. Uh, again, Jesus said, if you don't become, don't become converted and become like a child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And I want to close with, no, I'm going to close with that. I'm going to close with that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us. Thank you that you have come to earth to save us and that you gave your one and only Son um, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I thank you, Lord, for, um, for the good news that we are sinners. That's what the problem is and that there's a solution to that. And thank you, Jesus, that um, you do save that your spirit does come, give us peace, take away our sin, wash us and make us whiter than snow. This is all true. This all happens to billions of people around the world experience this. Thank you, Jesus. 
And thank you, Jesus, for the difference you're making here in uh, Sawyerville and here in Lestrie, here in Sherbrooke area. Thank you, Jesus, for Quebec, for Canada, for North America, for the world. I just pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm not sure who to pass it back to, but it's passed back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my oldest is named Corbin. Corbin. And then Jedediah.